Hey everyone, welcome back to Latter Day Takes. Happy Monday. Coming out with you strong with a podcast with Adam Eberts. I'm excited to get with this one out there. Adam has an amazing story. I don't want to really give you too many details because the fact of the matter is he shares it perfectly and he talks about kind of what his struggles were growing up in the church, drug use, things like that, and details his conversion. And it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's something that should be out there for everybody to see. And he, he's not shy about sharing the story. That's another thing I really appreciated about Adam. I asked him to come on and he was all for it. Came right on, no problems. And then from there, we actually had to make a part two because his conversion story was so awesome. I just wanted to hear his everything as much as I could. Uh, part two will come out next week. And I talk about, I just kind of give you a little blurb at the end of the episode what the plan is there. But part two, we talk a little bit more kind of the Desnap movement because he was one of the kind of the premier people to help create that movement and to give a voice to those that didn't really have a strong one on Twitter. And he details all that. We get into that. We talk about his podcast. Um, it's a fa- fascinating conversation, if I do say so myself. Adam's an awesome guy. Really appreciative of him coming on the podcast. I think you all will enjoy his story. He's a great guy to have on our side. Um, he's also a great follow on Twitter. Um, for those of you that are interested in that, his handle on Twitter is at J A Eberts. And I give the spelling of Eberts obviously in the title, but that's E B B E R T S. If you want to follow him, check him out on that. He's great just for a voice for, you know, the, the strong members of the church that, that view themselves kind of as the traditional members of the church, those kind of classic conservative members Anyway, sorry, I've probably gone a little bit too long there, gushing over Adam. He's an awesome guest. It was a great episode. I think y'all will enjoy it. Hope y'all had a great weekend and still having fun with the holidays. Uh, Later this week, we got the Home Alone pod coming out. I've been highly anticipating this one personally because (laughs) I don't know why. I've just been such a big fan of that movie during Christmas. So I hope you will enjoy that one. I think you will. I think a lot of people will... uh, find a nice release just kind of thinking back about the nostalgia of that movie and we get into a lot of fun parts of that uh as a movie recapping that um anyway merry christmas everyone love you all hope you're gearing up for just a great week we'll get back at you later this week mormons are really nice people totally nice they are the best cult have you ever under the influence of alcohol questioned the teachings of the mormon church Oh, and these Mormons are so nice. Everybody's so nice. <laughs> Everybody's so nice in Utah. They're all Mormon, right? Yeah. So they're not most drinking. Of it, most of it. And they're like not cussing. They're like, Slovis, you stink. <laughs> I'm afraid it was the Mormons. Yes, the Mormons were the correct answer. Because God loves Mormons and he wants some more. Shout out to the Latter day Saints. All right, joining me on the pod today is Adam Eberts, fellow podcaster within uh, kind of the. I guess the community of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints on a broad level. Um, maybe there are more micro levels, but we can address those later. Uh, Adam, I'm actually super pumped about having you on this podcast because I've listened to a bunch of your guys' episodes and I l- love what you guys have to say. You you specifically are usually the funny one to me. Like You always kind of have like these subtle like dry <laughs> humor and these little digs that you'll throw everywhere like every now and then, and it just, it cracks me up. And so I'm really pumped to have you on and thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, do you, could you maybe give a little bit of your background specifically? I'd love to start, I mean, give me what you do professionally and all that stuff. And then 
I would love to hear kind of you recap that story, which you've shared before of kind of your own journey with addiction, with kind of drug abuse and things like that, that kind of really, if you don't mind, kind of like led you into where you are today, if I'm not mistaken. I've heard you talk about it before. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Uh, well, I mean, first of all, thank you for inviting me on. It's great. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to rub it in Tanner's face that I'm the funny one and he's, <laughs> he's yeah. not, but yeah, so, so we do, we do the, the spiritual arson podcast and it, it's been a lot of fun. Um, anyway, yeah, I, uh, I live in Oklahoma. I'm a licensed professional counselor. Um, so, you know, master's level, uh, psychology degree, uh, and then got my license to, to be a therapist. Um, kind of the path getting here was, was a little convoluted, but I ended up here and so that's, that's good. So I've been doing this for, I don't know how many years now. Um, it, it's been a while. I don't want, I don't want to yeah. do math. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I mean, where, where do you want me to start? Like just at the, yeah, what, where does started... the story normally start when it comes to kind of how you had, you lost sight of kind of who you were and everything. I mean, you, you grew up in the church didn't you, or oh, yeah. did you convert through this process? Yeah. yeah. You grew up no, in the church, yeah. I, 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 I was raised in the church. My, my parents were converts. Um, and then, uh, I, I was the first one born kind of in the church. So I was, I was raised in the church in Southern That's California. Right. Um, which you could argue <laughs> about the, the effectiveness of raising a Latter-day Saint in Southern California. I'm actually curious um, about that because, but, you know, my, uh, my brother-in-law who I'm really close with, I mean, I have a bunch of in-laws. I'm the youngest of eight kids. You have seven kids, by the way, which I think is awesome. You don't see that too much these days. Yep. Um, my, my, one of my brother-in-law, he was bro- brother's in-law. He was one of the first to marry into the family. He was the first and, uh, he grew up in Southern California, kind of the Glendale area. I don't know if you're. Is it kind of close yeah. to there where you grew up? Uh, so I, I grew up uh, outside of Palm Springs, a little town called Palm Desert, which is like Riverside County. So it's gotcha. way out in the desert. So the, the Coachella Music ah, Fest is yeah, out yeah, there. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's uh, yeah, way way out there. Not not really around anything but dirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, kind of an interesting place to grow up. But California's got a lot of problems. And there's a lot of, you know, this is back in the 80s and 90s. Um, but there... What I liked about it at the time, which kind of proved to be a little detrimental to me, I think, was that it didn't really matter who you were. You had like a group, you had a clique, you had somewhere to kind of fit in because California is just just radically diverse in, in so many ways. Like nobody was out with was without a crew. Nobody was a complete loner. You hung out with the other loners who were into the same nerdy things you were. Um, or in my case, you know, I, I rode skateboards and like half the kids in my neighborhood were were skaters. And that was just sort of the, the group that you coalesce around you're kind of, you know, clicked up with and, and you do what they do. And, uh, so yeah, I, <clears throat> yeah, I, I had had a few moments kind of growing up where like church was important for the most part though, all the way through, you know, middle school years into high school years. I don't, I don't know that I ever worried about it enough to, to say that I had, any sort of a testimony that I was like, I, I just, I just don't know that I ever gave it much thought. I kind of went through the motions and went to church every Sunday. You know, my, my parents were active and my siblings were all pretty I was actually much curious about that real quick. And this is obviously not to place any blame anywhere else other than yourself. I think you've always kind of been pretty clear about that, but um, do you think your parents may have facilitated a role one way or another to kind of, because 
everybody approaches the gospel differently. And obviously parents are going to have an impact on their children right. and how they practice and everything could it have been the, and this is also, let me, let me full, like start this by saying converts can be some of the strongest members of the church from day one, but right. sometimes they have a harder time grasping exactly what the norm is, or I don't even know what the norm would be necessarily, but just kind of their own approach and then being able to put that onto their children. And I'm just curious if that had anything to do with that, you think? Right. No, in, in fact, I think I think my parents, um, like when they latched on to the gospel, they they joined the church in Oregon, which is actually mm-hmm. where I was born, and then we moved down to California when I was fairly young. But um, they they joined the church and just gobbled it up, like they loved everything about it. They they would be considered you know golden contacts at, at this point, and and it completely transformed both of their lives. Um, and wild kind of experiences that they've told us about. So like they, they lived it, like they lived it, right. They lived the gospel. They lived their beliefs. They practiced their beliefs. Um, there was no question in my mind ever that they believed it, lived it. And there was nothing in their behavior or conduct or anything that like ever contradicted what they believe, which I think is the biggest problem that a lot of parents have. A lot of us as parents have is that we're professing something and we're telling our kids, this is really, really important to live and believe and practice this way. And then we're doing something completely different to that. I think that sends a mixed message, but in my, in my case, that was never, that was never a problem. I knew exactly where my parents stood on everything. Um, They weren't super heavy handed most of the time, but there were just expectations. Like you went to church and everything else. Um, I, I think for me, I was just, I, I was just interested in what my friends were doing. I was interested in having fun. I was interested in, you know, doing the the fun and exciting things. Like I was very much a, kind of a hedonistic sort of mind, right? Um, if it was fun, if it was a little sketchy, if you might get in trouble doing it, I wanted to do it because it was like a good time. My little brother, on the other hand, was very, you know, very much all aligned with the rules and everything else. He never acted out. He never... Well, that mm-hmm. we knew of anyway, but, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't think my parents could have done it any different, honestly, than they did. They were, they were doing the best they, they could. I had two older brothers that were kind of putting them through hell as well. I apologize. There's like, a oh, no worries. Hey, it's, <laughs> I believe me. I don't know if no, you can hear totally that or not, fine. but, um, yeah. So, so that's just sort of how it was. I just never, I never felt like a sense of needing to know I, I had church friends and I think this was part of the problem too, is I had friends in church who were kind of into some of the same things I was into. And it it's different than in Utah, you know, like where, I don't know, you can kind of choose to be with the good. Yeah. Good members of the church. Good Mormon kids in the back. Yeah. And, and with me, you kind of got what you got where you got it. And all of my church member friends were into skating and, goofing off and vandalism and everything else right like that was just we were all just a bunch of little turds <laughs> running around the suburbs doing what we so wanted that's to funny do. you say that real quick um, because i've actually had that kind of thought process so i i grew up in las i was born in las vegas lived there till i was 11 my family moves yeah. to the salt lake area around that time i'm the youngest so like my fa- my parents still live in the same place that we moved to to this day so i got to kind of experience both now granted before before the age of 11 you don't really experience the world like you would from 11 right. to 18, kind of like leaving the house, getting to college and everything. But I will say that I do kind of have this hypothesis, so to speak, that 
in Utah, in some ways, it can actually be a lot harder to raise children because of that big gray area yeah. that you're kind of talking about, where just being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints isn't enough. In other words, you can kind of right. get away with that sometimes outside of the state of Utah. Now, obviously, there are large pockets everywhere, Mesa, Idaho, even parts of Southern California will definitely yeah. have its pockets of, of large congregations of the church where you can have your own little clique that's all, or most of them are members of the church, and you can participate in the debauchery together but in utah that's in like inflated to the highest degree because if you go to a party and somebody says hey would you like a drink and you say well i i actually am i'm a member of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints or you know back when we grew up you just say yeah, i'm mormon and they're and they're like yeah exactly and that was usually enough for people if they weren't they're like oh okay that's cool you know whatever um like, yeah and this may be an oversimplification to some but in Utah, that doesn't hold any water because they'll either tell you, oh, yeah, so is that dude over there or so am I. Because the guy exactly. pouring you the drink. They'll be like, yeah, so am I. <laughs> right. So what about it? And so there's it's kind of this interesting right. uh, phenomenon, I guess, and one way of putting it in Utah that exists, but also large pockets outside of Utah is, is my own hypothesis. Now, granted, this has not been put into practice. I don't have children of my own, so I don't know for sure. But anyway. I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds legit and it, I, I can, I can certainly see scenarios unfolding like that. And it's consistent with things that I've heard from people. Uh, I, I think growing up in Utah would have been <laughs> awful. Um, my, my older brother went through a lot of similar things that I had done. And I think that's what my parents were mostly afraid of was that I was going to mm. like lockstep, follow him on, on a lot of paths. And they expressed that. But he, he told me at one point he did go to Utah when he was out of the house, he's 17, 18 years old. I don't remember how old he was when he went there. Um, but he did live in Utah for a little while. And he said it was the darkest Ooh. time of his life. Like it was just, that's when he was spiraling the hardest. He was, he was using some of the hardest drugs he'd been using. And he lived in Salt Lake. So it just, just about ruined did he, so he Does did. he um, kind of say the largest contributing or one of the bigger contributing factors to that was actually being in Salt Lake itself? Um, no, I mean, gotcha. no, <laughs> he, he, he brought a lot of that baggage with him. Um, it was just, just something about being in that, that place. I think that just, I don't know, there's almost because so many people are members of the church or were at least raised in the church. There's almost a flavor of endorsement when, when those people yeah. who share your values and beliefs are engaged in a lot of the same stupid things you're doing. Like that, that's kind of what I mean with like California. It was almost like yeah. permission to sort Absolutely. of do it right like well we're all in trouble together i guess and the bishop's kids yeah, with yeah. us so like how big yeah. of a deal can it be right like we're not gonna get, we're not gonna get in that mm -hmm. much trouble yeah right <laughs> exactly for, for whatever so um so yeah so so california is really where like a lot of the bad habits kind of started um and then my my parents uh they they tell the story that they knew they needed to get us out of california um, my two older brothers had both been through a lot of trouble. I was coming up in a high school system where everybody knew my name already for mm. not good reasons. And uh, <laughs> I got in a lot of trouble my freshman year in high school. Um, there, there was an arson charge and there was a, a big to do. And basically we were forced to leave the state of California. Uh, <laughs> and so my parents moved us to Oklahoma. So my sophomore year in high school, I moved from Southern California. Was that to strictly Oklahoma. just to kind of save the family, so to speak? Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I believe it was. Um, you know, my dad had a, a pretty decent 
pretty decent living there. I mean, we weren't like raking it in or anything, but he owned his own business, had employees and, you know, and then I came along and <laughs> kicked all of that out from under them. Uh, they, they, they talk about it on a, on another podcast, the exit mm-hmm. podcast, which is a friend of mine who's, who's doing that. Um, he had them on and they kind of told oh, the okay. story, but, uh, yeah. So we moved to, to Oklahoma to, to save, to save me especially, but then I have a little brother and a little sister who were coming up in that same environment. And it was just, it was just getting, you know, not, not conducive to, <laughs> to saving your kids physically or spiritually anymore. And it was a good thing. Cause when I got to Oklahoma, that's when I really like got pretty bad and, and got kind of wild. And thankfully I did it in such a, a small kind of rural sort of community. Cause had I been acting out the way that I was, in a place like Southern California, I have no doubt that I'd be dead. When you had your fail safes too, the environment you were comfortable with and people knew exactly what not to say because they had your back in all the wrong ways, obviously. And it was just out there in a foreign, I mean, foreign, I mean, to Oklahoma, I guess it could be foreign to a lot of us, who knows, but. No, it was, it was foreign. It was, it was. You don't have anybody having your back. And so people are just like, who is this kid? He's trying to disturb Mm -hmm. the peace, something that we fought for, for so many years or things along those lines. Yeah. And you know, I, there, there's no, there's no shortage of, (laughs) of that. Like it didn't take me long to find people who, who shared similar enough interests, like, uh, not, not a lot of skateboarders, not a lot of people listening to punk rock, but you know, everybody liked grunge and whatever else. So like, you know, I could find people adjacent enough who were also into using drugs and Sorry to keep cutting you off, by the way. Like I'm, I'm very conversational. So like I, I'll, I'll, I, I do tangent by tangent by tangent. Like it's, and hopefully it's not all about me, but I mean, I, I want this to be a tangent for you. I, I heard this. I can't remember. It might've been from you on one of your episodes and it might've not been, but regardless, I'm curious to get your thoughts on it anyway. I had heard a story about people that kind of get into that lifestyle when it comes to like, you know, using and, and whatever else they can go to a new town and within an hour, they'll know exactly who to go for basically to buy whatever it is they need. Cause they just, all, it's everything. Yeah, so it, it's, it's not that difficult. I, I was talking to my wife about this the other day too. Like we, we were leaving target or something and there were some two, two girls walking in front of us with like bright green and bright blue hair and a pair of like Converse, you know, shoes. And I, I, I looked at my wife and I said, you know, growing up, that meant we liked the same bands. Yeah. That meant we were into the same things. And so I could, I could strike up a conversation with that person. It's a little different now because I mean, our culture is just so weird now. Um, but yeah, you, you knew right away who was smoking pot mm-hmm. and who had some, like they were just telltale yeah. signs. Right. And, and so you're the new kid in school and I, I show up obviously looking very different than, most of the kids in my school, um, not a jock, not a cowboy. And that that's pretty much like 90%. And so what that left were the other kind of freaks and, and, uh, you know, uh, people like that, that you just sort of gravitate towards. And yeah, of course they're all, they're all smoking. They're all drinking. They're all popping pills and everything else. And cool. I'm into yeah. that. Let's do yeah. that. <laughs> and, and that, that, that becomes like the basis of, of friendship for like the new guy in town. Um, I, I can remember at one point I was, uh, I was out riding my skateboard and I was wearing this really bright Hawaiian shirt, you know, and I don't remember if I had a Mohawk at the time or not. Um, but I'm just like cruising through a neighborhood and some kids, some people from, I hadn't started school yet. This was like the summer before. So I didn't know anybody. 
Um, and some people drove by and then backed their car back up. And it was two, two, like a guy and a girl that go to the high school there. And they're like, Hey, who are you? Like, <laughs> cause mm-hmm. you don't look like anybody from around here. Right. And, and immediately they asked me like, Oh, you're from California. I was like, yep. And they're like, you ever done acid? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> are you sure? Like how long did it last? And they kind of quizzed me to make sure I wouldn't just like BS in them and stuff. And they were like, okay, cool. Like, and so immediately there's this yeah, drug he's connection. One of us. Like I didn't have to go looking for it. Yeah, exactly. And and you're kind of the the new element, right? Like you you don't really have to go looking for it in a small town. Like it kind of mm-hmm. finds you. Um because you're you're the new exciting, interesting thing, right? Especially if you're showing up to school with a mohawk and a, a Hawaiian shirt. Um they hadn't seen anything like that. Like this is back in the nineties, Oklahoma was still like a decade behind. <laughs> Aren't they still? I, I'm like, I'm just, no. no, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I, th- I think the internet has largely erased a lot of that. And has I, and has I think Lame Miz come out in Oklahoma actually. yet? I'm not sure if I, it's a little behind. Right? <laughs> it's pretty good. Hugh Jackman really does a great job. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. No. And, and, but, but the internet really has kind of like negated that. So you don't, you don't really. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense from a communications perspective, which is something I've studied. It does kind of level the playing field, which is once again, a tangent. So cool about how the internet came around in the nineties and made the church a global church. And president Hinckley was the guy to engineer kind of that whole thing. And he was just well-versed anyway. Sorry. Yeah. It's, it's exactly what you're saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. With a, with a lifetime, with a lifetime of communications, he's he's the guy to kind of, kind of do that. But yeah, I, th- I think I think it's kind of a, a disaster from a cultural perspective, though, because we erase a lot of the really cool, unique things, you know, like I'm, I'm really into music. and I always have been like the Omaha music scene was very different from the right. L.A. music scene and was very different from the Boston music scene. And like now it's all just kind of I don't know, like there's nothing super distinctive. And I don't know. I don't like it. I think I think it's it's ruined a lot of things culturally. But but that's, you know. I'm, I'm plucked from Southern California into Oklahoma and I, I stand out like a sore thumb, like everywhere I go, people are staring, which was another funny thing. Cause in California, if you stare at somebody, you can expect to get beat up or to have to beat someone up. Like you don't stare, <laughs> you don't, you don't make eye contact. You don't look at people and in Oklahoma, everybody stares because I, I guess it was a small enough town. They just figured yeah. they ought to know you. And so it took me several months to kind of calm down when I caught people staring at me, cause it was like, what, I mean, are, do you want to fight? Like, why are you looking at me? And I, you know, my instinct is throw my hands up and say, what's yeah. up, let's do it. But you know, they, they just figured they ought to know you or you're the kid in the Mohawk with the Hawaiian shirt that they've never seen before. Right. Like they've, they've only seen it on MTV or whatever. And it, it, you know, I don't know. Um, so anyway, like I, I clearly was not done uh, self-destructing, like just moving me from California to Oklahoma, I think changed the environment enough that I couldn't hurt myself too much, but I was still pretty determined to, to just sort of, you could take the palm, you could take a kid out of a palm desert, but you can't take palm (laughs) desert out of the kid. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. And, uh, so yeah, so I, and, and the kids I was running with, man, they were not, they were not bad kids. Like, especially by comparison, like they were all pretty good kids, a lot of kind of messed up situations and stuff. And it was a lot of just experimentation with, with drugs and, and partying and whatever. Um, 
but it, it just, you know, certain drugs, you, you get stuck. You can't help it. Like you, you surrender a significant portion of your, your agency. And so while it started out with like a, a lot of pot, right. Um, and pill popping and alcohol and stuff like eventually progressed towards, towards methamphetamines, LSD, shrooms, ex, you know, ecstasy, that sort of stuff. Like I never did heroin and I never did PCP because I was afraid of both of those actually. Like uh, one, I hate needles and the thought of doing heroin was just ridiculous. I just thought that was the stupidest thing ever. Um, but yeah, everything else was pretty much like, okay, whatever, I don't care at this point. And, um, but you do, you get stuck on that. And and I I don't know if you want the story of kind oh, of that's the that's the part yeah but, uh, I'm anticipating the most again I love hearing this part. <laughs> well, so so kind of going through all of that, like I I was getting worse and worse and worse, and I've got some pictures that uh, I've thought about digging out there at my mom's house. Um, I got down to like 130 pounds. I'm six foot one, Holy almost cow. six two, and and was down to about a hundred 130 pounds at one point. Cause I, I just wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating. I was just, I was just doing speed and, and methamphetamines and smoking a lot of pot and just kind of running around like, and after high school, I had like no, no aim, no direction, no nothing. During all of this time, my parents are, are staying, you know, very much aware of my circumstances and everything else. And I think they did a pretty good job of like supporting without condoning, um, they, they did, they, they did a good job. They did the best they could with what I was giving them to work with. I think, um, very supportive, never hesitated to kind of share something with me. Um, and there, there were a couple of events that like created kind of turning points for me, um, that meant more to me in retrospect than, than probably at the time. But I I can recall one particular event where my, my dad was a, a carpet cleaner, a carpet cleaning business. And we would do a lot of commercial accounts and stuff. And uh, we were cleaning a funeral home um, one day. And I, I would always go with him, earn some extra money so that I could go buy some pot, you know, whatever. Um, and we were cleaning this this funeral home that was embalming some bodies uh, at the time. So you could you kind of smell it. And it was just it was just kind of a surreal whatever. You're cleaning the carpets because there's going to be a viewing. There's bodies in the back. And, and then there's like the casket display room where you you know, walk through and select your casket, I guess. And it was just very, very somber, a little macabre. And it just got me thinking about kind of life and mortality sort of for the first time ever. Um, and I remember like just feeling kind of weighted by it all. And I, I don't, I don't know that there were any conscious thoughts about like, Oh, I should really clean up my life or anything like that. Like up until this point, I had considered myself an agnostic, which was my, my philosophy on life was, you know, if there's a God and he is all knowing and he is all loving and he is all these things, what we say he is, then he understands perfectly why I am the way I am. He understands why I think the way I think and why I can't embrace him or this gospel or anything else. If he's a God of love at all, then, then that's good enough, right? He gets it of all the people who should, he does. And he's not going to hold me, you know, to, to some higher standard because that's where I'm at and he knows it and that's good enough for me. And, and that was fine to just kind of like, you know, get me through whatever. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think about it a whole lot. Were you still going to church? But this day this time? I, I was thinking, uh, only when I had to kind of off and on. I mean, I, I never, 
I never like refused to go. I never rocked the boat that way. Like I'd be really tired and stuff, but, and I, I don't remember where this story takes place. I think I might've still been in high school or just finishing high school. Once I got out of high school, I didn't go to church at all. Um, cause there, I mean, nobody made me, uh, I would occasionally show up for it, but even when I was there, I was off in my own mind. I doodling on some, we didn't have smartphones back then. I had to like draw on paper, you know, the, the, the <laughs> archaic <laughs> art form of <laughs> keeping yourself busy some, some right. other way, right. Fold little paper airplanes mm-hmm. or whatever. But like, I, I genuinely liked a lot of the people in the church is very small ward. Um, a lot of kind of old timers, a lot of converted Baptists and some of the like fast and testimony meeting was always a hoot. And so you kind of wanted to go to see like what crazy crap someone would say. <laughs> that, um, that maintains to this day. That's for sure. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, but yeah, so, so again, I, I, I just didn't have anything to do with it, but my, my dad set a really good example for me. Um, in the, like every morning when I would come downstairs for the day, like his scriptures would be open and doctrines of salvation would be open and all of his highlighters would be out. And like he, he was doing early morning scripture study and it wasn't to send a message to anybody. It was, this was his, his kind of morning routine. Right. And he would learn things that were really cool and you could see him kind of get excited about it. And he'd try to talk to you about it. I'm like, oh, whatever, I don't care. I don't want to hear it. But like, and, and at the time it didn't look like it was having any impact, but, but it really did. I mean, it really was like, again, consistently, they believe this, they, they, they love this gospel. It has changed their lives. You know, my dad was kind of a wild guy. He used to ride bulls and oh, everything nice. else back in Northern California where he grew up. I mean, he was, he was a cowboy, beer drinking, tobacco chewing, you know, cowboy. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> He's just re- retracing yeah. his roots, right? Like coming, coming where it all started, I guess. But, um, so yeah, so this this particular day cleaning this carpet at this funeral home just feeling kind of kind of heavy about the whole thing i went and sat out on the back of the the work van the back doors were open i was just kind of sitting there having a cigarette break and this long kind of gravel pathway led past the the funeral home and led to an alley and i was just kind of looking in the alley zoning out and out from behind a fence and we're talking you know a good i don't know 50 yards away maybe uh i i don't know how to judge depth very well. So I don't know. Might only have been <laughs> yeah. that 10 feet, but it was a ways down there. Um, this, this blue balloon that looks like it just came off a string or something kind of rolls into the alleyway in, into from behind a fence. And I can see it just kind of, it's just sort of rolling back and forth, kind of caught in the wind at the end of this, this little gravel driveway. And I was thinking to myself and I said to God, basically like, if you're there, if you're real, roll this balloon to me just kind of challenging it a little bit, but, but also probably for the first time in my life, genuinely curious because at this point, this must've been after high school because at this point, like I had been using meth pretty consistently and it just beats the crap out of your psyche, man. Like it makes you so paranoid and so like unable to, to concentrate and to rest like that. That's really the, the, the hardest part about it is like, when you're on like a binge and you're kind of on a high for a couple of days, it's like a lot of fun. But then after about day three or four, your body is done and it's ready to go to sleep and you're not using and you're trying to come down. You're doing everything you can to sort of bring yourself down and you lay down and you feel your body just say, I'm done and give out. But your mind just keeps going and will not stop and will not shut up. 
and, and man, it's like all you can do to kind of just get some silence. So I had been kind of doing to my, this to myself consistently um, and, and was definitely feeling it and was feeling like, you know, it's time, it's time to move on from all of this. It's time to understand something a little bit better. There's got to be something else to life, whatever. So I, I said, all right, God, if you're real, send that balloon to me. And the moment I said that, no wind or anything, this balloon starts tumbling towards me from the end of the the end of this gravel road in a straight line and rests right between oh, my wow. feet as I'm sitting on the back of this this truck. And I I I I don't want to say that I was dismissive of it at the time because because I it wasn't entirely, but I remember just kind of taking a, a drag of my cigarette and saying like, huh, okay, yeah. that was weird. And, and then just going back to going back to work, right? Not really giving it another thought. Um, but it, it did kind of linger. It sort of stuck with me for a little while. Um, there was another experience much later. I don't know how much later. All these years kind of like run together. It's just one big blur uh, from like my senior year to that, that year after high school. Like, I don't know what was going on. It's almost two years after high school. So when I kind of think about these and tell these stories, they're all out of order. So chronologically, who knows? I may never remember. Um, but somewhere kind of later in this whole thing, um, I had had a really intense uh, kind of terrifying experience with mescaline. Um, I have no idea what peyote. Oh, is that what that is? And, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm yeah, talking it's, about it's peyote. A yeah, really, course, yeah. It's a really strong hallucinogen. And, uh, it lasts for like 16 hours. Like at the dosage, I took it, uh, was really stupid. And, and it lasted for about 16 hours intensely and then kind of tapered off over the next like five or six hours. Um, it was, it was really, really reckless, really stupid. I'm, I'm lucky to have come out of it with any sanity at all. Um, I'm not convinced that some of the people I was with (laughs) did come out of it with any sanity. Um, but it was, it was such a crazy experience. I can't even begin to go into the details of it. I don't, I don't, I get kind of icky feeling when I talk about it sometimes, but, um, just because of some of the elements that were in it, but it it was, it was scary and it felt demonic in a lot of ways. Um, like there was, there was some active kind of influence sort of vying for, (laughs) for my soul (laughs) and it did. It scared me. And I, uh, I really started kind of taking a hard look at my life and kind of thinking about things. Um, it didn't really slow me down. I kept, I kept going, but I could, I could no longer feel good about what I was doing. And some other time, some, some, something later, I was back on some amphetamines of some sort and, uh, really paranoid, not able to sleep at all. And had had an, a, an experience with somebody who, who I knew it was a friend of mine, but she'd said some things that just like kind of re-triggered this whole terrifying experience from, from the peyote, from the mescaline and like, uh, this new kind of level of paranoia and the paranoia was just so high that I, I couldn't sleep for days. I was like peeking out the windows. Every car that drove by was the cops or the feds or, something else. Right. Like it was just, I, I was, I was climbing the walls and it was just really, really, really bad. And this is all <laughs> taking place upstairs at my parents' house. I don't know if they had any idea what was going on or not. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I know that they knew there were a lot of problems. My mom had been prompted several times to like get like at one point was prompted to get me out of town. And so I went with her to Branson, Missouri. She's just like, you're just coming with me. Let's go. Wow. Don't know why, but we got to save your life. So let's go. And I, I don't know what I've would have great things about Branson, <laughs> by the way. I really have. Like, <laughs> yeah, cool Branson, little... it's, it's like, it's like, yeah, it's like, yeah, redneck yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's cool, by the way. I like that. Like, redneck you don't even shooter. know what it could have been, because I feel like that's what's <laughs> so interesting about how the spirit works is that a lot of times we don't get a confirmation. Yes. And I have, I'm not going to go into this, but I have in my mission, it's kind of along those same lines that it was just my patriarchal blessing said that I would be protected on my mission if I follow the promptings of the spirit. And I had, I never really felt even remotely compromised. So it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I guess that, that did happen. That's great. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. No, that's fine. So I, 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 there were a lot of incidents like that. That was a big one. And that was like I, I was definitely kind of in the depths of it at that point. There's pictures from from my time at Branson where I am like a buck thirty five, you know, and and you look at it, it's like, yeah. ooh, that's yeah. terrifying. Like that's skeletal yeah. walking around here. Um, but uh, yeah, so so this this kind of super paranoid state, and I just got to the point where I was like, man, I've got to do something different. This is just not working. At this time, I had been going down to to Dallas quite a bit. I, I lived in a little town kind of between Oklahoma city and Dallas. And we, we used to joke that if you wanted to get into trouble on the weekends, you went to Oklahoma city. If you wanted to get into a lot of trouble on the weekends, you went <laughs> to Dallas. And, and it was just, it was just a, a, a party scene. And I was connected with a lot of people really, really deep in the club scene. Um, and so a lot of like designer drugs and party drugs and, got connected with some people who I actually had gone to high school with who were now living down there who were involved in, uh, in moving large quantities of, of certain substances. And there was, there was an opportunity to go down and, and do that. Right. And so it's, it's a party seven days a week and you're making money and we're all living in this wonderful, free love community down in, in North Dallas, which if you're familiar with Dallas, like you, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it would not have been a good, a good, uh, I'm not situation. familiar with that part of Dallas, but I didn't, but I have been to Dallas a few times. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. Dallas, Dallas is a cool, is a cool yeah, city. I like there's, it. Still, there's still a lot of redeeming yeah, like qualities. It. Yeah. They've, uh, they've shut down some of the cool spots like deep Ellum was, amazing and they've kind of like they've kind of ruined it mm. so i i don't know there's not much left of what used to be deep ellum back in the 80s and 90s you know especially the late 90s but but anyway so i'm, I'm kind of faced with this like what do i do with my life at this point do i go down here and do i do this because i think in the back of my head i knew that it was there's probably no coming back from that and then coupled with you know the the experiences the bad experiences that i'd been having lately um, I just wondered if there was just something else, man, something better than this. And I remembered something that my dad had said. And I don't know if he said it that day or if he'd said it like two years before all this. But he had put a challenge to me uh, at one point. He, he he said, look, man, like you're obviously an analytical guy. You're obviously a smart guy. Why don't you apply the scientific method to to the gospel, to finding out if the church is true, to finding out if God is real? 
And it's like, well, what, 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 do you, what would that even look like? How do you prove the intangible dad? Like, you can't yeah, yeah. I'm smarter than you. And, and he said, well, so what's the hypothesis, right? That if you do A, B, C, and D, then you can expect an answer from God in a way that you're going to understand. So do A, B, C, and D. Do it with real intent and see what happens. And so at that, at that moment where I'm super paranoid and been awake for several days, I, I kind of latch onto that. I sort of remember that. It's almost like a... Um, like a prodigal son sort of moment, right? Like even the servants of my father, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You just, you just remember something that got in there. I'm sure my parents were trying to get stuff in there all the time. And, and this is, this may not even have been intentional, but it's the one thing that got in there. Um, and so I, I, I thought about it. Okay. What am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to ask, and I'm supposed to do it with real intent. Now I've prayed before and I have shaken my fist at God before and I've told him what a jerk I think he is. I had to edit myself. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Your your policy on language. I don't tend to hit the explicit button. So I, I kind of stopped short of that. I, I mean, basically no F word really gets thrown out. I think I uh, put a quote in once. I don't say Yeah. So other than that, honestly, it's free reign. I have yeah. people come on SH bombs left and right. It's fine. Uh, dude, I, I feel so bad about it on spiritual arson because it's like every episode. Like, Crap. <laughs> <laughs> we screwed that up. Yeah. Um, but anyway, like... Uh, you know, I, 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 I had been mad at God. I had challenged him to show up when I was, you know, upset and angry and had demanded a sign, finally show me and nothing had happened except, except this balloon. And that was, that wasn't a challenge. That was like a, a moment of genuine curiosity, I think, when that had sort of happened. And, and I'm kind of remembering that at this moment too. And so it was like, all right, so I need to pray, but not just pray. I need to fast. I'd heard that, you know, praying is like a flashlight and fasting is like a spotlight. And faced with the decisions that I was potentially going to make, I needed a spotlight. I needed to really get God's attention. And so if this is the hypothesis, if this is how you do it and you do it with real intent, real intent being for the first time in my life, being willing to accept whatever answer I got and then, and then acting as though mm -hmm. that's the truth, like accepting that as a truth. And I realized I had never come to that point before. I, I had never in my prayers been willing to accept the answer before I got the answer. And that makes all the difference. And it made all the difference for me. And, and since that time, as I've gone back and I've studied a lot of this and I've studied conversions of other people in the scriptures, like that has made the difference for everyone. It's not enough to get, you're, you're not going to get an answer just to satisfy your curiosity. And, and to then right. reject it, you're going to get an answer that means something when you're ready to act on it, when you're ready so to, let, to kind of, take let me ask it. you so this real moment, quick. Sorry. Um, how do you accept an answer? You don't know like what it's going to be. So like, what do you mean by, cause I know, and this isn't me challenging you in a way where it's like, Oh, prove me wrong here, but it's more kind right. of like just conceptually somebody going and saying, well, I don't know if to accept whether or not the church is true, because I don't know if that's the answer I'm going to get any, like, I don't know. Like, how do they conceptualize something like that? Yeah, I, I I don't know. For me, it was like, I, I mean, the whole nature of my experience was, is God real, first of all? And and that's what I wanted to know. And and secondary to all that was, is the church true, right. is the book more true, any of that sort of stuff. Like, I wanted to know, is God real? Which if you would be determined real, in your mind through your agnosticism, by the way, because you had said he does love you. Well, that's kind of how 
well, if if he sure. exists and if he is all these things, then then you know whatever. But that was just a way of not really thinking about it. It's a way of not worrying about it. Um, but now, okay, is God real? And and if he is, then like, who am I to get in his way? Who am I to like say, yeah, but I know better? Like, I mean, the very the very concept of God supersedes anything I think I got mm-hmm. going on. And, and so that's what I meant by like willing to accept it. So if God shows up and, and has the power, first of all, to demonstrate his reality to me, then, then whatever he says I need to do, I'm going to do because that's bigger and more powerful than whatever I got. So it's humanity in a nutshell. It and, sounds like, and right? Basically. Yeah. And at, at this point, like I had, I had nothing to lose. I only had things to gain. If he didn't show up for me, I was going to Dallas where I'd probably die. Right. Um, but if he did, okay, what does he want me to do instead? He obviously has a a better idea about all of this. Everything we know about God is, is, I mean, from, from any point in history, like he's bigger and badder and better than you. (laughs) He knows more than you. Yeah. And so why, why wouldn't I defer to that? And so my, my experiment really was, I want to know if you're real. And if you are, I'm yours. Like I'll, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll, I'll be, I'll throw all of this away. I'll sounds a lot like King Lamoni and his wife, right? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like, I like the story yeah. of Lamoni cause he's like, I'll, I'll give everything to yeah. know this. It, it was, you know, he wants to, he wants to know it before he even has the answer. And, and, and that, you know, I don't want to compare myself to King Lamoni, but the principle Absolutely. is the same. And I think this is why the answer came to me the way that it did. And so I, I, prayed and I opened up a fast for the first time in my life. I laid it all out. And I said, I just want to know that you're real. And, and then I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to accept it and do something about that. I'm willing to, to make changes in my life. And it was only, I don't think I was into my fast for more than an hour before like things started to kind of happen. And, you know, I don't, I don't go into a lot of details and I don't know how many, like what details I've shared with whom about this. But it started, it started out, I thought I was having an acid flashback. I thought I was like experiencing, um, like a hallucinogenic kind of shadow, right? Like, uh, it it was such a weird state, um, that kind of came on and, and thoughts kind of entering my head that didn't feel like they came from me. They felt externally placed there. And I think a lot of that was for my sake, like, the the answer was given to me in a context in a way that you that would, would know. I, I love that part of the spirit, by the way. Mm-hmm. Like the spirit is so customizable, yeah. and it speaks to us in the way that we understand. And that's something that I think probably isn't taught enough, if I may, in our in our church. Quite frankly, right? No, abs- absolutely. So so I, I'm laying here, and and I'm having this intense kind of visual and sensory experience, and and I tell myself like, "Holy crap! I think I'm having a flashback." Like. And, and that, that's what I, that's what I say out loud. And in my mind, I hear, nope, this is your answer. Get up and and go do some things. And there were some things that I was instructed to go and do, um, that, that led to kind of some other, uh, realizations, some other kind of conversational sorts of things that had happened. And, and at one point I got this eerie and fascinating kind of sensation. And, and this was really kind of the clincher for me that like it it felt as though the the four walls and and the roof and the ceiling around me in the the room that I was in um at any moment could 
burst off into any direction in space that that everything everything tangible in my life everything physical my my entire physical existence was only held together uh because god wanted it held together that at any moment everything could be broken apart and i would find myself alone in the immensity of space and there's nothing i could do about it and and it was kind of a kind of a a feeling of like perfect insignificance, yeah, yeah. right? Like in the grand scheme of things, your part in all of this is so stinking tiny and it was completely humbling. And it was immediately followed by the realization that that was divinely given, I think, that everything is held together. As insignificant as you are in all of this, everything is held together for your sake. And so it, it, it almost seems like a, like a contradiction that like you are totally insignificant but you are completely the point that that everything is held together for you, for your progress, for your your experience, for your benefit to kind of grow. And and I knew all this came from God. And it was it was kind of cool because it it challenged a lot of kind of emotional beliefs that I'd I'd had up to that point that that a lot of us have about do I matter and you know things like that and like nobody loves me and that sort of thing. And and all of that goes out the window when you have this kind of an experience where it's like, no, like yeah, you are, you are insignificant. And so, you know, like it, this isn't all about you, but at the same time, this is absolutely about you. You are that important. And then there were some other, a, a series of other things that kind of came, but the, the light that kind of filled my body, that filled my soul, that f- my, my paranoia had immediately vanished. Like all of this had happened in an, in a moment. It actually played out over several hours. Um, where I was alone in my room kind of experiencing all of this. And, but, but the relief that I felt, the, the lifting that I felt off of my shoulders, the, the, I, I can't even begin to describe like what it felt like, but it, it felt like emerging from a cave, you know, and like seeing the sunlight for the first time and, and being a little overwhelmed by it, but then like, man, like how warm and beautiful is all of this. And, and so I, I quit, I quit everything right then, like that night I was like, I'm, I'm done smoking. I'd been smoking, using tobacco, smoking cigarettes for like six or seven years up to that point. Um, done with all that quit, I quit everything cold Turkey threw everything I had away. Um, and just said, fine, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm ready to go. Um, it was a long process to kind of get from, from here to there. I started reading the book of Mormon that night wanting to know like okay is this true did you start yes, from page true? one Absolutely. or were you just like i'm just gonna open it and see where it takes yeah. okay nope I, I started at page one like i i knew christ was real i knew the atonement was real um because no, nothing else could have saved me from this like nothing else could have given me that relief the relief that i got from myself from the consequences of of my my sins and my 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 drug use and everything else like was so immediate that it it could be nothing but supernatural. Like there, there's there's no other. And this is something that like irritates the crap out of me when people tell me that I'm not a Christian. It's like then then who was it if it wasn't Christ that did that for me? Who was it? Because because that guy has power. So whoever he was, if you say it's not Jesus, fine. Yeah. Tell me who it is because that worked. And and that's who I that's who I want to worship. That's that's the focus. And I know that that's Christ, that that is, that is the atonement. That's what it's for. There was relief offered to me 
and again, I, I go back to because I was 100% willing to do whatever that meant. And so I quit everything cold turkey. I, I'm approaching like 21 years old at this point, I think. Um, had never gotten a patriarchal blessing, none of that stuff. And I, I don't know, I haven't really talked to my parents about this. I don't know what went through their head because like the next morning I came down and I had a bunch of questions about, about church, about the Book of Mormon, about the things I was reading. And, and I, I read the whole Book of Mormon cover to cover. I don't know. It just in a matter of like two or three weeks, I think, um, for the first time ever in my life. And, and I had, like I said, just a ton of questions about everything, these stories that were unfolding stories I'd never heard before, you know, uh, and, and talking to my dad about it and they're getting kind of excited about it. And then it was time to go get a patriarchal blessing. Cause I'd, I'd never gotten one, never wanted one, didn't care. And, uh, I had assumed that because of the things that I had done, the things that I was into, um, that a mission would not be a possibility for me. Right. I, I, I didn't know how it worked. I just thought I had disqualified myself and had no intention. Well, had they raised the bar at that point? Gotcha. No, no. Fortunately, <laughs> they had not. <laughs> Which, honestly, I'm not even sure how much that's even been enforced, I guess, is maybe one way of putting it. I don't know. I mean, you just, you yeah, hear yeah. exceptions all the time still, which I think as it should be, quite frankly. And I think President Hinckley's point sure. of raising the bar was more to just kind of say, hey, we we do need to emphasize this a little bit more directly. And yeah. Right. We're not sending, we're not sending kids on missions to fix them. And and in my case, like it was such a genuine turnaround. And, and my bishop at the time was a fantastic man. Couldn't have asked for a better bishop. So I was like, well, I guess I got to go talk to the bishop because all of this is true now. And so I I went in, I made an appointment with him, which I'm sure shocked yeah. him. And I went in and like laid it all out. I said, here's what I've been doing. Here's what my life has looked like. Here's what's happened. Here's where I'm at now. And like, he, I don't, I don't think he even said anything. Like his jaw is sitting on, on the desk, right? Like, holy cow, he can't can't believe. And so I was like, so do I like need to not take the sacrament or like, (laughs) what do I, what do I need to do? He's like, well, no, I think you need the sacrament more than ever. That I love Um, that too, by the way, that seems to be kind of like a, something part of our, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or what, but that's kind of shifted a little bit as well. Like I'm not going to take your temple recommend away because you need to go to the temple or now more than ever, you should be taking the sacrament. So I I do appreciate that part about the church that seems to have shifted a little bit to me at least, but. Yeah, well, I mean, he he would have been ahead of absolutely. Because this was he back definitely would have. He would have been inspired. I think. I think this was like two thousand one, maybe. Because I I I was like whatever. So then I went and got my patriarchal blessing, and it was very explicit about serving a mission. And so I was like, well, okay, <laughs> I guess I guess a mission's yeah. back on the 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 table. So let's go ahead and do that. And so from from the point of conversion to sitting in the MTC was nine months. Um, That's so my, crazy. My, I, that I, is crazy. It nine is crazy. month turnaround. It should have been nine month turnaround. Yep. So, so all of that happened in like February, I think. Um, and I was, I was in the MTC in November. Oh, so whatever that is. What were you going to say? It should have been what? Um, it probably should have been a year or more. Like if you're going by, you know, kind of the explicit rules, yeah. right? Like, you need to wait and you need to da 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 da. But I, I, I don't think, I, th- I think everybody who was involved with me, like understood this was a complete flip, like that there was something more than just like, well, I guess I'll go on a mission and stop doing these things that it, it wasn't that way for me at all. 
and I feel very fortunate to have had that experience. And, and I get kind of sad when people are like, you know, that doesn't happen for everybody. Cause I want it to happen right. for everybody. And I, I kind of feel like it can, I feel like the difference here is what are you going to do with it if it does? And, and I'd sort of been brought to this point where I didn't really have a choice. I mean, I did, but it was like, it, it was basically choose certain death or take a risk on God. <laughs> and it was like, all right, I'll take, I'll yeah. take a risk on God, I guess. Um, cause I just, I, I, in the back of my head, I knew that going to Dallas was going to be a bad idea that it just wasn't going to be. And it was, it was funny. Cause like the very next day after all this has happened, I'm, st- I haven't left my room yet. I'm still like in my room. It's the next evening. So I'd been in my room like 24 hours and I didn't even realize it. Didn't, didn't feel it. Didn't know what was going on. And a buddy of mine shows up with a Ziploc bag full of ecstasy <laughs> telling me about this hot, this hot tub that's waiting over our friend's house and let's go. And it was like, I I like tried to give him a book of Mormon. I think I was like, dude, you have no (laughs) idea what's happening. I'm sure he thought I got a hold of something that like messed me up. Uh, Which you did. It was, it was the book of Mormon, which is its own version of ecstasy sometimes. Exactly. Sorry. I can't help myself. (laughs) Right. No, I I love that. Some, somebody uh, on on Twitter had posted a, a joke about that, that like, you know, atheists criticize uh religion of being opiates for the masses and and somebody said except when you when you become a latter-day saint then it's like amphetamines, <laughs> right because you, you are you're like you're yeah, fired up you're you're ready true. to go and i i alienated every single one of my friends um because i was just literally overnight i'm not that person anymore so you weren't salivating they at all had a real over any opportunity to revisit no, that no and no certainly not for the first little while. Now it did get kind of difficult later as I was preparing for a mission, like the, the, the draw kind of like came back on and it was like, okay. And I, I sort of got a sense of, you know, you really have to protect yourself uh, against everything. Like you can't, the triggers and whatever you can't else. go to a bar. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You can't, you can't go hang out at a bar and expect to not be tempted to drink. Like, because when you go to the bar, you go, you go there alone. The spirit doesn't go with you. And you're going to be, you're going to be tempted. And there were scenarios and circumstances because not all of my friends abandoned me. I had a couple of really good friends that kind of stuck through me with it. They thought it was amazing, but they were still, you know, doing what they were doing and like still offering it at every time. And I realized like, I I like that you're still willing to hang out with me, but maybe I need to not hang out with you so much if this is what you're doing, because I found myself in those situations and it was getting more and more difficult to, to resist it, Mm -hmm. to say no. Um, and also, like, I had never believed in a contact high, but they yeah. happen. <laughs> like, I never thought that that was possible to be in a room filled with with pot and, like, get a contact high. But you can. Turns yeah. out. And uh, that was <laughs> that was kind of kind of wild. And but yeah, so the rest of that, you know, it served a mission, came home, uh, went to, to BYU, Idaho, where I met my wife and got a job as a, as a juvenile corrections officer, which was really kind of funny and ironic. <laughs> yeah. and That's like a movie having, having, <laughs> I know dude, having, having been on the other side of juvenile corrections to then be like as a juvenile correction officer. But, but I think it, I think it gave me a ton of, I was going to say in some ways it makes the um, most sense. Right. Right. And it was funny because like they couldn't get away, they couldn't get away yeah. with anything with me because they, they, they could like snooker some other people and like, you know, shine them on. But I'm like, come on, yeah. come on, dude, don't yeah. give me that crap. Like 
I know where all the hiding spots are. I know, <laughs> right. what, I know what all the excuses are. Like, um, and then, you know, we, we, I graduated from BYU-Idaho and the plan at the time was to go to law school, um, become an attorney of some sort. And uh, instead, there was a, a probation, a juvenile probation officer job in Oklahoma, in my hometown. And so it was like, that's great because we didn't know where we were going to go. We could, we could stay with my parents, get our feet under us. It's a career with the state. It's got state benefits and whatever. Um, and so I did that for several years before going back to school, getting my master's and, and doing the psychology. Where's your wife from? And so here, here I am today. She's from oh, Kansas. Nice. So yeah, Midwest. So, she's all about that. Yeah. So yeah. So it, it was, it was fortunate. And I, I think we found each other largely kind of like <laughs> by being repulsed by so much of the, the Wasatch corridor culture. And I, I know I give Utah a lot of crap. <laughs> Uh, a lot of a lot of it is is dessert. Yeah, no, I'm with you actually like, for sure. <laughs> but but there are just some attitudes that you don't find anywhere else that are just really foreign and odd to me that I just I, I just kind of had a distaste for up there and and you hear them in classes and everything else and so she and I kind of shared a little bit of that uh, that that distaste yeah. for for some of those cultural elements and a love for the Midwest, a love for what's like, funny is that. Of, uh, like um, geography wise, Rexburg's probably pretty relatable to the Midwest, actually. Rexburg itself. Now you can go thirty minutes and then you're like basically in yeah. Yellowstone or the Tetons or whatever, but yeah. Right, right. Yeah, Re- Re- Rexburg itself wasn't bad. It was just like I said, a lot of the a lot of the attitudes of kind of that that sheltered sort of life. And I, I hate to say that. I don't like calling it a bubble. I don't like saying you guys are sheltered. Like like my experiences didn't give me something over anybody, but it certainly gave me a different perspective. And it was so radically different from a lot of what my peers were sharing. That it was just like, I just can't even like, it would require too much education to like get us to a point that, that we're talking about the same things when we're talking about. Yeah. something. And so I don't know. I just didn't really want to kind of mess. Yeah, with no, that. I totally, I totally get that. And, uh, well, and I mean, it's a little, it's a little snobbish on, well, my I, part, mean, but, yeah, I mean, I you mean, know, uh, I don't, I don't think it's coming across snobbish personally. You're, I mean, you're not, you're not saying it in a way that's condescending. At least there's that. I, I think personally, in fact, I was talking about this with a friend the other day. There's a, it's only a bubble. It's only as much of a bubble as you want it to be. And, and a lot of, I think familial yeah. dynamics play a big role in that. And since most of my life I've lived in Utah, but I've been told that I don't come across as a Utah Mormon, so to speak. <laughs> You yeah, don't strike me which as a I hate to say, <laughs> like, I feel complimented by along the same lines of what you're talking about. Right. right. But with that said, I had a lot of great friends growing up in Utah that were a lot like me, but they did grow up in Utah their whole life. And I because sure. I attribute some of it to growing up in Las Vegas and especially being a part of a family that was not tethered to Utah. My dad had grown up here, but my mom really hadn't. Right. She did high school here, but that was it. And then from there they left, you know, he got, they both got their undergrads at BYU and then they bounced and he got his, he got his master's at actually Oklahoma university of Oklahoma. Yeah. Right on. So is that, is that, is that where you went by the way? Uh, no, for my master's, I, I went to a small college, uh, ECU here in, in Oklahoma. It's just a, a little, it was the one I yeah, could afford. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so cause, cause at the time, yeah, I'm, I'm married and with kids. Well, and if you've read David and Goliath, uh, Malcolm Gladwell was all about being a big fish in a small pond anyway. So there's that. (laughs) Um, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I did want to actually, I'm actually, I was not expecting your conversion story to go an hour. And you know what? I don't regret any of it. Like, no, no, this was, 
this is this is for me to navigate and i was loving where you were going so i was just going to let that ride and it was fantastic seriously i really appreciate you opening up and sharing that again and and coming on the podcast to do that catch part two next week with adam when we talk twitter desnap movement state of church culture things like that kind of the different movements that are going on his thoughts on all of that the podcast that he does currently that'll come in one week from now so we'll have an episode a different episode for latter day takes in between now and then i think y'all will appreciate the next couple episodes coming up adam's fascinating guy i love his opinions stick around love y'all hope you're having a great week and we'll see y'all later so madly there must have been magic in the valley and a rhythm in the night cause I could almost see it did you fade right out of you if it takes time